Third John, let's talk about this. This is the elder, John the Beloved. We believe that God used uh, this young man who was uh, taken into the disciples as probably a teenager, the youngest of all disciples, and, and uh, he uh, was the brother of James. He was a son of Zebedee. His mother's name was Salome, and, and they grew up in that uh, Sea of Galilee area. He was a fisherman, and uh, they were very known in that, in that, in that place. But the Lord uh, used him in a wonderful, wonderful way as a, as a minister of the Lord Jesus Christ, as a disciple. He was pastoring, we believe, the church at Ephesus when he wrote this in A.D. about 90. And uh, he would be exiled later, about five years later, he would write the book of the Revelation, which we'll read that and study that in a couple weeks. But he would be boiled in oil and exiled by the Roman emperor on an on a island of Patmos to shut him up. If he's going to preach, he would just preach to himself over there. But God had used him in a great way. And, of course, the church at Ephesus was started by the Apostle Paul. He spent three years of his life there working and teaching in the school of Tyrannus. And uh, he told Timothy earlier, he said, before he passed away, and, of course, Paul has already passed away at this time. Peter, all the other disciples most likely have already been uh, their lives have been given for the Lord. John, looks like to me, he dies maybe a natural death, does not die as a martyr, as his, other, as his other colleagues did. Paul is already gone, but Paul had told Timothy, I want you to abide still at Ephesus. You charge some, they teach no other doctrine. And so uh, John seemed to come and be a part of the leadership of that church. And of course, the church at Ephesus was one of those churches that were mentioned in the seven churches of Asia Minor that you'll find in chapter 2 of Revelation and 3. But uh, John has now uh, written the book of John under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, 1 John and then 2 John. He wrote to the elect lady. It could have been a, a, an actual lady. It could have been a local church. And talking to her children, people who were born, who were in that church family, but this letter is written specifically to a man named Gaius. In the Bible, there are four different men named Gaius, and they have different, I don't think it's the same guy, but it could be, this one could be one of the other three men that are mentioned in, uh, in the previous books of the Bible and the writings of Paul. He could be one of those, and I think that, uh, but there's not the same guy in all uh, four settings. But nonetheless, he is, he is recipient of this letter. It's probably written on one page, a Epaphras a page there. It's not long, and, and uh, John the Beloved sends it uh, to re a response to some problems that he had. looks like to me he was trying to send uh, preachers. He's in one location, probably in Ephesus, but he is sending them to different, uh, sending preacher boys and itinerant preachers to preach and edify the people. And of course, at that time, there was no place to open up your Bible and say, turn the book of Ephesians or, or the book of John or Matthew and Mark. But they were getting prophetic uh, teaching. Uh, they, they continued uh, steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, those who had been with the Lord Jesus Christ and, and those who had been given, who'd been giving prophecies up to we have the scriptures. So he looks like to me he's been sending men to preach in different locations. And when he came to this church of Gaius, where he went to church, um, he was received, they were received well by him. But there was one clown in the church named Diotrephes who was not. He was full of himself. He was arrogant, puffed up, pompous. 
He, he resisted even the letter that, that John had already written to, to correct some things or to admonish some things. And uh, he really treated them very roughly, would not let them speak. And anyone who was good to the itinerant speakers, he felt he, he had control to pass them out. And that may very well be, Diotrephes may have been a sign to preach in this church or to govern this church or to oversee this church by John the Beloved himself. And every once in a while, when you watch men who have trained other people, occasionally someone has been trained by someone. They love them during that time, but they get on their own. They start stretching their muscles, and they begin to give a hard time and throw back on things that they had learned from their leader. I'm sure the Brother Spears here tonight and, and others who have trained other folks in the ministry, you'll find that occasionally people that are close to you hurt you. And uh, no doubt, Diotrephes is one of those fellows. And, and both Paul and, Diot- and John, uh, if you'll read in First, Second Corinthians chapter 13, and then here, he says, look, when I show up at the church, I'm going to handle some problems. <laughs> he said, and if I come, I'm going to talk about that, and we're going to deal with that. And Paul said the same thing to some loud mouths there at uh, Corinth. He said, look, if I come, We'll, we'll, we'll see you face to face and we'll deal with it. Now, he didn't tell us what he was going to do. He seemed to wave the rod above their head, but didn't say if you whacked them or not. But by the way, uh, the Lord Jesus, he's, he's going to come too. <laughs> and he comes, he's got, he's got some business to take care of. And the Bible says the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. Some men count slackness. But he is long-suffering to us, or not whether any would perish, but all would come to repentance. But when he comes back, he's not coming back as an infant, a helpless infant. He's not coming back as a lamb. He's going to come back as a lion of the tribe of Judah. He's got some business to take care of when he comes back. And Paul and John seem to indicate that same thing. He also has another main character. There's four main characters in this small book, only 14 verses of the Bible. And that is John the Beloved. That is Gaius, a very admirable person in the church. Diotrephes, a very obstinate, adversarial person in the church. And uh, then you have uh, one more fellow named Demetrius. And Demetrius is... uh, he has a good report. And people who know him have a great admiration for him. And it seems to be that he was someone... Basically, you see oftentimes in a given church, you'll find these kind of members. You'll find someone like a Gaius, someone like a Diotrephes, and someone like a Demetrius. Uh, someone who has a good testimony. They're maybe not out in front, but, but, what they, but they're, they're in all the way. They're, they're deeply involved in the work of the Lord, like Demetrius was. You're going to find some folks who are, just seems like their discord is what they do. And uh, they're proud, and they're full of themselves. And when you're proud, you just don't get it. And we'll see Diotrephes this way. And then you'll find a guy named Gaius. We'll learn a little bit about him, make a couple of thoughts here real quickly. But let's, if we can, look at the book, 3 John. The Bible says, the elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. He says, he said, I'm the old man now. And uh, he says, I'm writing to Gaius and someone I care about and I love him in the truth. And you're going to find truth is going to surface here. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospereth. He said, just like you are spiritually and emotionally strong, I hope you're going to be strong physically. So just a kind of a quick greeting there. Verse number three, for I... Rejoice greatly that when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. He said, whenever the guys 
the missionaries came back from visiting you, the itinerant speakers came, they were ministering there. When they came back, they made it obvious to tell me that you're walking in the truth, Gaius. Verse number four, he says, and read it with me, would you please? I have no greater joy than to hear. And of course, many of us have quoted that, and boy, it brings you great joy when people that you love. Now, I probably think that John the Beloved was celibate. He probably did not have children. He probably never married. This is uh, historical facts, not biblical facts. But, um, but he had a lot of children. <laughs> and his children were people he had influence for the gospel. And he said, I'm the old man now, and I'm writing to you, and I hear you walk in truth. And he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that uh, people that I birthed in the family through soul winning are still walking with the Lord. And by the way, you can bring great joy to your mom. Young people, listen, some of that, I know that Brother Abdel's not here and Brother Ricky is ill this evening, but I'm telling you something. You want to be a blessing to your mom and dad, stay on the right path the whole life. Don't get off into immorality. Don't get off into promiscuous living, homosexuality. Don't get off into drinking and, and uh, doing things that dishonor your parents. Some of you wouldn't think about cursing your mom and dad or not even saying yes sir, yes ma'am. You know one of the best ways you can honor your parents is behave yourself when you're not with them. <laughs> behave yourself when you're not with them. Wherever you are, let them get a good testimony of what you're doing. And I think that would be a great idea right there. And, and you're going to bring them joy. And the Bible tells us the joy of the Lord is our... You're going to, you're going to strengthen your mom and dad, give them a testimony of, of sterling love and care and faithfulness to the Lord Jesus Christ. Keep walking in truth. Verse number five. Let's look at it if we can, please. Beloved, thou dost faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers. He says, I've, I've got to commend you. You are very faithful at loving the stranger practicing hospitality, which have borne witness of thy charity before the church. He said, these guys that came back, they told me how much love you had for them. Whom, if I bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well. And he said, you really, you encourage them to go to the next place to minister. And here's why you want to help them. Because that for his name's sake, they went forth, taking nothing of the Gentiles. Verse number eight, read it with me, would you please? We therefore ought to receive such. Okay, so what was the reason? And John says to Gaius, he said, look, when they came back, they told me how much you loved them. When they came to preach for you, you took up a love offering, you took care of their needs, you helped them. And he says, there's three reasons why you do that. Number one, for God's namesake, for the name of the Lord. Christians ought to be good to other Christians, don't you think? Yeah, and those who minister the word of God uh, in spiritual things ought to be reciprocated in carnal or uh, material things. He said you would do it for the name's sake, for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John chapter 13, verse 35, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you, what? Have love one for another. He said you've shown charity. He said, you do, it, you do that. You care for people who come by, strangers and pilgrims that come by and minister. We have a missionary family come. We have someone who speaks for us. It ought to be, very, it ought to be like second nature. Boy, I want to do something to encourage them. I want to write them a note. I want, to, I, want to, I want to do something to help them. And Gaius was that kind of a guy. And he did it, number one, for the name of God's sake. The second reason he did it, because they were not, the, the Gentiles were not helping them. 
He says they're not going to receive anything of the Gentiles. And Paul, once again, he set this model, oftentimes going into virgin territory, giving the gospel. One of the things he did not do, he did not take their money. He, he would not take that. He taught them to give. The, the verse I just quoted about that in Galatians chapter 6, uh, that if they, someone communicates you in, in a spiritual thing, you communicate back to them in carnal But he did not. He said, I, remember when I was with you, I took nothing from you because I didn't want it to be chargeable to you. I didn't want you to do that. And so that was his mo- He didn't have to do that. He says, can I take a wage? Can I take a wife? Can I accept, can I accept your money? Yes, I could. But I, when I was with you, and of course, he was uh, ministering a lot of places with great Greek influence. And the Greeks were certainly, they felt like if you did any kind of manual labor, you were really weak in the head. If you're really successful, you sit around in circles with Socrates and Aristotle and just talk about ideas. And then go home and get your wife to make you something to eat and, and, uh, just, because of, just because of how smart you are. So they were, they were thinking, that he said, you know, I, I don't want, they were having Greek thoughts. Okay, well, hey, what's he trying to get from us? He said, but the Gentiles aren't supposed to be giving to Christians. He said, so you do it, one, for the name of Christ. Number two is because it's not the world's job to take care of, his, of God's servants. It's our job to do it. It's our job to encourage them. And the third thing he said, and that you are going to be fellow helpers with them. When we get to give to a missionary and send them on their way, and we, we provide for them to go do that, we are joining them. We're stuck in one body, in one place on the planet. We can't be anywhere else. But spiritually speaking, when I give to world evangelists, when I help a missionary, when I help an itinerant speaker who's going to be ministering, our soul winner is going to go somewhere else. The other day I was sitting down with Brother Mark Bushy, and we mentioned this because there was a fellow, and he's single, but, uh, but he's a soul winner. And I love that about him. And he'll witness to people. I've been to numbers of laundromats with him, and he'll go into laundromat and just start talking to folks about the Lord and, and their, their captive audience, you know, because they're not leaving their laundry, you know. So he stands right there, and he gives them, talks them about the Lord Jesus, and, and he wins them to Christ, and I'll get to meet him. I thought, that's great. But he doesn't really stay in one place. He moves different places, and he helps out in different conferences and takes people out soul winning, train them how to be a soul winner. And some folks say, ah, I'm not going to support you because you're in the States, or not going to support you because you're, you're not married. And by the way, no one deserves more honor than the single adults who, who walk alone with the Lord. I want to say that till I wear it out. Because every time you see a single adult in our church, you ought to tip your hat. You ought to say, I love you, I admire you, I'm praying for you, because it's not always easy to do that. But they say, well, I'm going to do it. But you know, I tell you, I tell you what, I like helping him, because when I help him, I'm going to see him in this month. And I plan to give him something like I gave him last time I saw him. Because by giving to him, I can be a fellow helper in the ministry. The next time he goes to a laundromat and gets his car and drives there, I can help do that. We get to join in partnership with others. And John the Beloved is saying, look, hey, listen, I appreciate, Gaius, all you did for my guys. By doing that, you did it for the name of Christ. You did it because the Gentiles weren't going to do it. That's not their job. It's your job. It's our job as Christians. And you did it because you joined in fellowship with other brothers and sisters who are doing the work of God. They become fellow helpers of joy. Let's look at the next one if we can, please. Verse number 9. Now he, he turns attention to Diotrephes. I wrote into the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the what? 
Oh man, that's where we all sit sometimes. We want to be, we want to be taken care of. Among them receiveth us not. He did not accept us. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds, which he doeth, and praying against us with malicious words. Then when I come, we're going to remember what he did, how he behaved, how he treated those, those servants of Christ, and prayed it against them with malicious words, hurtful words against God's servants, and not content therewith. He wasn't satisfied to do that. Neither doth he himself receive the brethren, and forbiddeth them. It wouldn't be enough if he was unkind, but he forbids those who would, uh, would be good to them and cast them out of the church. This guy is pretty, uh, pretty tough, a tough hombre. This guy is, he thinks he's all that in a bag of chips. So when John comes, John says, I'm going to come. I'm going to deal with that guy. Not only for how he treated his deeds and what he said maliciously, he wasn't content with that. He had to go all the way to make sure other people were not gracious and giving and kind to the servants of Christ. So this guy is, uh, this guy, and I don't know, he, he probably is a Christian. You might spend eternity with diatrophies. He might be walking the same streets of heaven that you and I walk with, but that's certainly going to be grieved. Because of, his, because of his bitterness and because of his pride and his preeminence that he put himself out there. And uh, then the last one, let's continue on, and then I'll give you the outline, a few thoughts, and we'll conclude this evening. The Bible says in verse 11, let's read it together. Can we please everyone? Verse 11, uh, Third John, and uh, ready. Beloved, follow not that which is... And Demetrius had the good report of all men. Everybody who knows Demetrius has a good testimony. And the truth of itself. He has a testimony of all people, and he's, he's very true to the truth. Yea, we also bear record, and ye know that our record is true. I had many things to write, but I will not with, with uh, ink and pen write to thee. I got, I've got many things I could say, but he said I'm not going to put that in, in the in, 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 in a, Ink and pen. Verse number 14, but I trust I shall shortly see thee, and we shall speak face to face. Peace be to thee. Our friends salute thee. Greet the friends by name. If you have your worksheet, if you would please look at that real quickly, and I want to give, it to give you the outline. I feel like the key verse would be the obvious verse that, that I have no greater joy than to hear my children walk in truth. But uh, here's the outline, number one, the grand prosperity of Gaius. One thing that he said, I want you to prosper in your body as well as in your soul. He, the prosperity, and uh, here's why he was prosperous. He had a true walk, and he had a true welcome. He had an obvious testimony, and he was very gracious and welcoming to others. Number two, Roman number two, we see another fellow here. We see the prosperity of Gaius, but we see the great pride of Diotrephes. How many understand that pride causes problems? Yeah. What's the middle letter of, of pride? Ah, what's the middle letter of sin? And pride hides. Even sometimes when you feel like I'm not very proud, you're proud. <laughs> and there is, there is a selfishness inside of us. I've got it, you've got it, and we've got to watch it. But uh, obviously manifested here very severely by
by this fellow Diotrephes. The third one is the good praise of Demetrius. And God took time uh, to put in the annals of his word a man's name named Demetrius because he had a good testimony among all the brethren and of the truth. And I hope you find yourself anywhere but with the name Diotrephes. I hope you find yourself where Gaius is, having a true walk and a true welcome, a hospitable life. Or Demetrius having a good testimony among other people. And then too, in addition to having a good testimony among other people, he has a good testimony of the truth. People knew that he would do the right thing. He was truthful. Have you found a key word in 3 John? Anybody have an idea on that? Truth. You see it all through this thing. Here's a couple things. I, I just When you think about truth, here's a couple thoughts I, I, I want to give you. Number one, the standard of truth is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the way. He's the truth. So the standard of all truth is in the, is in the person of Jesus. Um, and so, number two, the statement of truth is found where? Where do you find truth? Yeah. John chapter 17, verse 70, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. The standard of truth is the Lord Jesus Christ. The statement of truth is found in the scriptures. Who is the one who supplies truth to you? Yes, the Holy Spirit. He's the supply of truth. The Bible says when the spirit of truth comes, he will lead you into, uh, the spirit, uh, the comforter comes, he'll lead you into all what? Truth. He's a supply of truth. So our standard is Jesus. Uh, our statement comes from the scriptures. That's how we know what truth is. We look at the word of God. You don't look to your feelings. You don't look to logic. You don't look to the newspaper. You don't look to how your mama taught you or what your daddy said. You look to the scriptures. But the Holy Spirit of God supplies the truth uh, to us. And then uh, another thought here, who is its job uh, to, to safeguard the truth? Yeah, it's us, the local church. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15, he says, if I tarry long, thou mayest know how thou oughtest behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the what? Pillar and ground of truth. So if you got the truth today, it's because somewhere a church did its job. A church did its job. There's some churches you couldn't find the truth with a flashlight. You couldn't get saved there if you wanted to. No one knows the truth. But, boy, a church has to propagate and protect the truth. And that means everybody needs to propagate the truth. How do you propagate the truth? You talk about it. Yeah, you witness you tell people about the Lord. What's well, the promise that we have in, in Joshua 1.8 where the Bible says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy heart. Is that what the Bible says? No. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. He said, but you ought to talk about the Bible. You ought to talk about it. You ought to meditate on it. You ought to observe to do whatever it says to do. And then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. So the safeguard of the truth and the propagation of truth rests with the local church. And I'm grateful. And, and then we ought to send the truth. Who's supposed to send the truth? All of us. We're supposed to shout it, send it, get it out there. Tell folks every conversation with an unsaved person ought to be aimed at, is this the time I can tell them the truth? Is this the time I can give them the gospel? Is this an opportunity? And keep on talking till, till you get to talk about Jesus. I think that would be an, always a good goal for us. A couple thoughts and lessons and we'll conclude tonight. Number one, verse five, I think, teaches us to be hospitable. Hospitality. 
Hospitality, I think, is really just using your God-given resources, whatever they may be. Some of us have more resources than others, okay? But it's using what God gave you for other people's benefit. It is that if I have a car, then I can, I can use it to take you somewhere. If I have a home, I can use it. If you can cook, well, cook for somebody. It's using your resources for the benefit of others and ultimately the glory of God. If you've got something that God's given you as a resource, learn to use it. And if you don't use it, you'll usually lose it. I would encourage you to use your God. God be a hospitable Christian. One of the things the Bible tells us about uh, tells Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 3. He says, look, when you're analyzing if a guy is going to be a pastor or a deacon, first of all, there needs to be a desire of a person inside to be a pastor. He says, if, if, he said, if, if a man desire the office of a bishop, that's where it's going to start. It won't, it won't end there, but it certainly is going to start with a little bit of an itch. I think God may want me to do that. I sat down with a man last night and, and uh, took the time, and we talked about his call to ministry and talked to his lovely wife because they're both scared about possibly pastoring a church or leading a work for God. He said, but if a man desired an office of bishop, he desired the good work. And ministry work is the desired work. It's hard work, it's good work, and it's rewarded work. And God reminds us of that. But then he goes on to say he needs to be hospitable. These are the qualifications. He said, I'd be given to hospitality. Now, that, that's in different forms. Not everybody can do everything anyone else can do. That's not what we want to do. We're not comparing ourselves among ourselves. Because not everybody can fix large meals. Not everybody has a large home. By the way, you don't have to have a large home to be hospitable. If you're not hospitable in a studio, you probably will not be if you've got a mansion. These are things that, you, that will grow with you. And I think finding out what God's made you good at, what you can do, and just like uh, whenever Moses would, he said, he said, I can't do this, I can't do this. He said, what do you have? I've got a rod. He said, throw it in the ground. <laughs> I'll use what you got. And God will use what you have if you'll yield it uh, to him to do that. All right, let's look at the next thing real quickly. Number two, pride brings devastating behavior. It just, boy, I, I, only by pride cometh what? Contention. It brings contention. It, it brings challenges to a marriage. Uh, and basically, pride is not necessarily going around saying, I'm the best, I'm the greatest, I'm God's gift to the humanity. No. It is just focusing on how you think, how you feel about something, and what you want. Your outcome. It's making that a priority. That can be done very sneaky. You can come across very, very uh, humble and really have a major element of pride going on. It's just, it's, it's self-will. It's, I, I, want, I want this done the way I think it should be done. My feelings and, and my about it and, and my, my desire happen. And pride gets all kinds of devastating results. And we see it in this man I don't, think he, I don't think he went, if he, if he didn't get straightened out here, I don't think he went to his grave a happy man. I think, I think he just, when you listen to wait, what uh, John describes him as doing and how he conducted himself, people that put their self and just criticize and speak maliciously. And by the way, your mouth, your, your sticks and stones may break my bone, but words never hurt me. That guy was an idiot, okay? That is not a true statement. A bruise goes away a lot longer than some harsh, hurtful word. 
that is said or put out there on a social media or put in a text or put in a thing. And there's many kids right now that are suffering because of what they heard their mom say about them or to them or what they, what they heard a spiritual leader say to them. Boy, words can be extremely malicious. And if you think you can criticize someone else and your kids will still respect you, you've got another thing coming. And oftentimes, as pastors, we can be very critical as well, and we need to watch our mouth. And sometimes it's, it's like pastor, it's like people. And don't, don't be malicious. Don't be careful with our words. And this guy was not, and it's, it's centered and it's rooted in pride. And I got it in me, and you got it in you. And by the way, when we have it, it's a good idea to quickly confess it and say, God, have mercy on me. Forgive me. If you say something harsh to your spouse, you say something harsh to your kids, you say something harsh to your mom and dad, quickly arrest that thought and say, God, that's not right. God, please have mercy on me. Forgive me. I confess that that was not the way I was supposed to talk to the. Then go talk to the person you, you made a mistake with. Get it straightened out. Work on those situations. You say, you, you say an apology right, and you won't want to go back to that well very many more times. It'll help you. We're just so used to saying, hey, can we move on? We all right now? Sorry. You know, sorry, that's what I am. Just sorry. You know. just, those, are not, those are not apologies, and they're not confession. The word confession in the Bible means to say the same thing. Say what you did. Admit it. Quit it. And uh, I find that boy, diatrophies would be a good idea for him to take that pill before he went into eternity. Last thing, or the third thing there, is that... Um, Brevity counts. He said, you know, he said, sometimes we just need to, we don't have to put a whole uh, seven pages together. <laughs> he said, I've got a lot of things I could say, but I think this is what I need to say. I mean, you're, you're like, you know, someone can capsule a message, you know, a little bit, a little bit to shorter time. Come on, Brother Dick, you, you like that? Brother Dick said a good message is a good beginning and a good ending and something real short in between. You know, that's, that's, that's what he likes there. Talked about the little guy that's, he's like, I got so much to say, I don't know where to start. He says, start somewhere toward the end. But sometimes I think we ought to simplify our words. I, I like uh, Miss Murhowski, no doubt, does this, and Miss Panate, and Brother Cooper, and those who teach, and Miss Flesher. But oftentimes you get a term paper or something, as I was taught in English, you know, it's just way too broad. <laughs> you're, t- you're taking too much to say this. You need to, you need to, to get it down a little bit, a little bit more precise. And I think that's an interesting thing. Sometimes it's just important to say less and be more specific about things and trying to embellish. How many ever got your mouth in trouble? You just kept talking, talking, and more, more, more you talk, the worse it got. Yeah. Is that, I got many things I could say to you, but see, I think I'll just say it like this, just one page, and we'll be done with that. And I think there's some brevity that, that matters there. Lastly, uh, this is going to be hurtful to us. But let's look at it. Verse 14 but I trust I shall shortly see thee, and we shall speak face to face. Peace be to thee, our friends salute thee. Would you read the rest of it? Greet the friends by, oh, isn't that rough? You ever heard someone say, well, I'm just good at faces. I'm not good at names. The only thing is that you can't test faces, you know, necessarily. But, you know, the truth of the matter is, he said, tell all my friends and greet them by name. You know, God loves his name. He's one of the Ten Commandments is don't take the name of God in vain. Apostle Paul listed almost 90 different people in the Bible. Like 
Onesiphorus. Aren't you glad your mother didn't name you that? Long names. He put them in and he said, he said, greet your friends by name. And I'd like to encourage you to learn somebody's name. Learn somebody's name and use it. Pray for them. I think about Apostle Paul making mention of you always in my prayers. And uh, these are some thoughts I think we can take from 3 John. Thank you for listening. Let's bow our head and close our eyes just for a second. Is there anything in, this, in, the, in the book of 3 John that God has pointed to you and said, hey, let's work on that. I know I see some things when I was studying that I had to stop and just say, all right, God, that's an area. Boy, I need to be just a little bit more concise and just talk too much sometimes. I want to be careful. I'm not, I'm not critical with my words. Make sure I'm hospitable to people I don't know. They're in the family of God, but I don't know them. Help me to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit of God.